Hey podcast listeners, I wanted to give you a quick update on my Philippines trip before the podcast today. And I wanted to let you know that I've set up a website that I'm going to use to post photos and uh, just descriptions of, of various things that happen while I'm in the Philippines. And that website is tagum2016.com. Tagum City is the location of one of the conferences that I'll be speaking at. And uh, so I use that in the name of the website. And that's spelled T-A-G-U-M. 2016.com, tagum2016.com, and uh, you can go there and, and just check out some of the places that I'll be going and some photos already there of some of those places, and uh, in less than a month now, uh, April 10th, is the date that I'll be leaving to go to the Philippines. So just wanted to thank you for continuing to pray for me and, and my family as uh, I prepare for this trip, and uh, you can go there and, and just check out some more information. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Let's turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Now the, the, the narrative here in the book of Acts is going to go back to Peter. We're going to leave Saul behind. He's just going to be there in Tarsus for a while while some other events are taking place. And what we, what we want to pay attention to now from, from Acts 9 to the end of the book of Acts is we see two different things going on. We see the, the ministry of Peter and the Twelve and that Jerusalem church in decline, or at least the focus is being taken off of that, that ministry of the circumcision, and gradually we're going to see the focus placed on Saul, who later is called Paul. And so for a little bit here, it's going to switch back and forth a bit. Um, eventually the focus is going to be exclusively on the Apostle Paul. And, and what we see with Peter, beginning in verse 32, is we really just see that, that same kingdom program. We've talked about how there's something new beginning here in chapter 9, but Peter hasn't been clued into that yet. And so Peter is just going on the same program as is in effect there. And you see uh, verse 32, it says, It came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole, arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydda and Sauron saw him and turned to the Lord. Verse 36 says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And verse 37, it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And forasmuch as Lydda was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows 
stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed and turning him to the body said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon, a tanner. Now chapter 9 ends with Peter at the house of Simon, who it says is a tanner. Um, that's uh, maybe not, you know, often these people's businesses were located right right at their homes. And um, a tannery is not necessarily the most pleasant place in the world. Um, often often uh, what, in those days, what they did to tan hides is that they would collect urine from the, the chamber pots and things, and that's what they used in the tanning process. And uh, you can imagine it wasn't very wasn't very pleasant. Even even today, you know, someplace where they were there uh, handling cow hides or something like that, it's not a very pleasant process. But that's where Peter is staying here with this this Simon. Now remember, Peter's name also is Simon, right? But here he's staying with uh, another Simon there in the city of Joppa. And in chapter 10, it says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band. Okay, so again, to set the scene here, Peter is in Joppa over on the, on the Mediterranean coast. Caesarea would be farther north up the coast. And Cornelius, he's a centurion. A centurion means that he's, he's the commanding officer of a, a unit of 100 men. Okay, so he has 100 soldiers under him. And uh, you see he's of, of a, a band, meaning a, a military band, a military unit, that's called the Italian band. But notice it describes Cornelius in verse 2 as a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. Now it doesn't, it doesn't tell us how Cornelius came to be a, a God-fearing Gentile. But but here he is. He's a devout man. He's not. He wouldn't be. You know, most most of the Roman soldiers, uh, if they subscribed to any religion at all, would have been the, the Roman religion with the various gods and things. And uh, the that Roman religion, especially by by this time in the Roman Empire, it had devolved into almost being just state worship. Uh, Caesar himself became the god, you know, the, the preeminent god in that religion. But but Cornelius, he, he doesn't subscribe to that. It describes him as a devout man and one that feared God. It says, with all his house. So not only did he fear God, he, he had taught his family to, to fear the Lord. He gave alms to the people and he it says he prayed to God always. Now, um, uh, a difference between Cornelius and some of the Gentiles we've seen earlier. I mean, Cornelius is already a God-fearing Gentile here, but um, if you if you skip ahead, like to chapter eleven, um, it it describes uh, Cornelius in chapter eleven, verse verse two says, "When Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him." 
saying, Thou wentest in to men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. And, you know, we've seen some, some people that seem to be Gentiles or have a Gentile background earlier here in the book of Acts. But here, what's about to happen here with Peter and Cornelius is a very controversial thing. And what seems to be at the root of the controversy is the fact that Cornelius was not circumcised. And so that would indicate, since you didn't see the same kind of controversy surrounding like the Ethiopian eunuch um, earlier earlier in uh, the book of Acts, that, that the Ethiopian eunuch, who would also be a, uh, a God-fearing Gentile, we assume, although he could, he could very well be a Jew as well, but the indication would be that he was probably circumcised. And of course, he had been to the temple to worship, which if he entered into the temple would have required him to be circumcised. So, so Cornelius is a little bit different here. And this is, you know, chapter 9, we, we kind of saw some hints of a, of a change taking place. By the time we get done with chapter 10 and, and into chapter 11, God is beginning to, to do some unprecedented things to kind of make known what's going on, all right? And, and so this Cornelius... Verse 3, back in chapter 10, verse 3, he saw in a vision, evidently about the ninth hour of the day, an angel of God coming into him and saying unto him, Cornelius. And when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter, he lodgeth with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. So an angel appears to Cornelius, a Gentile, and tells him to go and find Simon Peter. And uh, by the way, if you think about if you think about how God dealt with the Gentiles through through much of the Old Testament and into the beginning of the New Testament here, uh, if a Gentile was going to approach God, he always did it through Israel. And remember, part of the, part of the, the covenant uh, that God made, and part of the, the promise as well that he gave to Abraham was that whoever blessed him and whoever blessed his seed would be blessed, and whoever cursed him would be cursed. And here you have a, a Gentile who was blessing Israel, blessing the seed of Abraham. And he, he uh, is, on the basis of that, he's able here to, to be in this position where the Lord is going to bless him. And, and so he, he tells him to go and get this instruction from Simon Peter. And you see that the angel doesn't, doesn't tell Cornelius what to do. He tells Cornelius, go and find Simon Peter. He'll tell you what to do. Because what's going on here is not so much about Cornelius as it is about Peter. God is going to do some things here to teach Peter something about a change that's taking place. And, and so verse 7, it says, When the angel which spake unto Cornelius was departed, he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier of them that waited on him continually, and when he had declared all these things unto them, he sent them to Joppa. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh unto the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. You notice here it mentions the, the ninth hour, the sixth hour. 
And these were, these were various times when it was common to, to pray during the day. And Peter's going up there at the sixth hour up on the, on the housetop. And verse 10, it says, He became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and a certain vessel descending, upon, or descending unto him as it had been a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth and wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. This was done thrice, and the vessel was received up again into heaven. So, Peter's up on the housetop to pray, and he's he's hungry. He wants to eat something, but he he has this vision, right? And it's this sheet that comes down, and it has it it says uh, in verse twelve, wherein were all manner of four-footed beasts of the earth, and wild beasts, and creeping things, and fowls of the air. Okay, so uh, now it doesn't mention there being any any fish or anything like that in the sheet, but it's all it's four-footed beasts, wild beasts, creeping things, fowls of the air, and you know if you're familiar with the the Jewish law, um, you know that under the law there are clean foods and unclean foods, or clean animals and unclean animals. Uh, this is sometimes referred to as kosher, right? If something is is called kosher, it means it. It uh, complies with the regulations of the law. Uh, so uh, the, the rules in general under the law for what was a clean beast and what was an unclean beast was uh, if something has a split hoof and it chews the cud, it's a clean beast. If it, if it only has one of those or neither of, meets neither of those criteria, then it's unclean. And the clean beasts would be the, the animals that could be used for sacrifice, animals that, that could be eaten, animals that could be touched. The clean beasts, you, you weren't, under the Jewish law, you weren't supposed to touch them, certainly weren't supposed to eat them. Um, they couldn't be used for sacrifice or, or anything like that. Um, that. That distinction, I mean, it's, it's certainly not... Uh, the idea is not that there's something inherently evil about about certain creatures or anything like that. Remember that when God created all of those creatures, after he was done, he looked at it and he said it was all very good. Okay. Now there are some, you know, if you look at, at some of the distinctions that are made and what they could eat and what they couldn't eat, you can identify some practical matters. In some cases, some of the things that they were not allowed to eat um, you know, there are, are sicknesses and, and diseases associated with eating some of those things, okay? But these, these dietary restrictions under the law, there are, there are a whole lot of things under the law where, where God forbid Israel from, from mixing these different things, right? So, for instance, under the law, you can't wear a garment that is a mixture of linen and wool, two different kinds of, of fabric. You can't, you can't wear that. You can wear the linen, you can wear the wool, but you can't wear a garment that's the two of them mixed. Um, 
You're not allowed to sow your field with mingled seed. Okay, so you can plant one thing. You are, you can't plant the seed, you know, mingled seed, two different kinds of things together. And you have a lot of these kinds of things under the law where uh, different kinds of things are not to be mixed together. Okay, and again, you know, there's nothing inherently immoral about taking linen and wool and putting them together and making a garment. Uh, but but God was teaching Israel, remember, when God was giving Israel the law, he was setting them apart as a nation that was not to be reckoned among the nations, which actually is what the word Gentiles means, is the nations. Okay? And he was setting them apart, and they were not to intermarry with Gentiles. And likewise, God gives all these different things, clean and unclean, so that they would... I mean, if, you, if you're an observant Jew under the law, you, you have to always be thinking about these different kinds of things and keeping them separate and not mixing them. And, and all of that, all of their, you know, their day-to-day activity revolved around this kind of thing, making this distinction between clean and unclean. And that was something that was designed to make them separate from the Gentiles because the Gentiles didn't care about, you know, sowing their field with mingled seed or wearing linen and woolen or eating pigs or, you know, Gentiles didn't care about any of those things. So by putting these restrictions on Israel, it teaches them distinguish between different kinds of things and keep them separate. And it teaches them you don't mix together with the Gentiles. Okay. So, so Peter here is hungry, right? And it sounds like he's, he's very hungry. And, the idea with these these creatures being let down is here's something to eat. But there's clean and unclean in the sheet. It's it's all manners, all manner of four-footed beasts and uh, wild beasts and creeping things and fowls of the air. And the of uh, the voice tells him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Okay. Now Peter argues with the voice. Um so the voice gives him a command, right? Get up, go kill and eat something. Um, and, and and the idea with all of these creatures together, I mean, if you if you think about what Peter is seeing here in his trance, if you've got a sheet that's lifted up by the corners and it's full of these, these creatures, they're all in there together. And you realize they couldn't even t- touch one of these unclean beasts and they couldn't touch something that had touched one of them. Right, so so Peter couldn't even. It's not like he could go in and pick out something that's clean and kill it and eat it, because it's there in that sheet with all the unclean things. Okay, and and so Peter, which you know shows you what Peter is operating under here. He's still living under the law. He's still observing that law. Peter says, "Not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean." And you know, you see the the boldness of of Peter here once again as a voice which he identifies as the Lord tells him to kill and eat and he says nope you know and Peter no doubt is viewing this as a test of his obedience whether he's going to keep the law or not of course by the time it's all over we see there's a very different lesson involved here um so verse 15 the voice spake unto him again the second time what God hath cleansed that call not thou common 
So, so when Peter says, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean, he, he sort of, sort of uh, contradicts the voice, or you know, the voice tells him to, to do that, and he refuses to do it. And the voice corrects Peter. And when he says, what God hath cleansed, that is, this is something that used to be unclean, but God has cleansed it, and so don't treat it as, as unclean or common anymore. All right. In verse 16, it says this was done thrice. So again, so after, after the voice corrects Peter, the voice tells him, kill and eat another time. And Peter refuses, and the Lord corrects him. And then he tells him a third time, kill and eat. And Peter refuses, and then he corrects him. And then it says the vessel was received up again into heaven. Okay. And you see verse 17, it says, Now while Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean. Peter's doubting, what, what does this mean? You know, the Lord's telling him to disobey the law, but he knows he's supposed to obey the law. Um, and he's trying to figure out what any of this means. And it says, while he doubted in himself what this vision which he had seen should mean, behold, the men which were sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate and called and asked whether Simon, which was surnamed Peter, were lodged there. While Peter thought on the vision, the spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise, therefore, and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men which were sent unto him from Cornelius and said, Behold, I am he whom ye seek. What is the cause wherefore ye are come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, and one that feareth God, and of good report among all the nation of the Jews, was warned from God by an holy angel to send for thee into his house and to hear words of thee. So as Peter's trying to understand what this vision is about, these Gentiles come looking for him. Okay, and that's where it begins to make sense to Peter. This vision was not about uh, God doing away with the dietary restrictions of the law, but rather this vision was about a change that had taken place with the Gentiles. And remember, we've, we've seen in the last couple of lessons how there with the, with the uh, conversion of Saul of Tarsus and the Lord tells Saul that he's, or actually tells Ananias that Saul is his chosen vessel to bear his name before the Gentiles. We see the Gentiles taking on a, a new position here uh, with regard to the, the plan and purpose of God. And, and so Peter understands from this, okay, where before he may have, it's possible he may have even refused to go with these Gentiles, here he agrees to go. Now, this is different from, for instance, Philip back in the, in the uh, previous chapter or a couple of chapters ago where, you know, the Lord just sends Philip out to stand by the road somewhere and he sees this, this Ethiopian eunuch who had been to the temple to worship. And again, the indication there would be that that Ethiopian eunuch, whether he was a, a Jew living in Ethiopia or whether, whether he was an Ethiopian that had converted to Judaism, it appears that he probably was a circumcised uh, individual, and um, and Philip deals with him. This is a different situation because here you have this this uncircumcised Gentile, God fearing though he may be, and 
especially for, for a Jew to go into a Gentile's house and to, uh, in fact, later what they're going to accuse Peter of is eating with these, these Gentiles as well. Because, again, Gentiles eat things that Jews don't eat. And, and the way that the Gentiles would prepare their, their uh, meat and their foods and things, a Gentile wouldn't, or a Jew normally wouldn't eat with a Gentile. But here Peter goes with them because Peter's received this instruction from the Lord. And what's going on here is that the Lord is, is cueing Peter in to what is taking place or this dispensational change that begins in Acts chapter 9. And so Peter goes with them and the, the instruction, Peter's instruction here at this time is not over yet because uh, verse 23 it says um, then called he them in and lodged them and on the morrow Peter went away with them and certain brethren from Joppa accompanied him and the morrow after they entered into Caesarea and Cornelius waited for them and had called together his kinsmen and near friends so it's not just Cornelius here um, you know Cornelius is told to go and get Peter and have him come, but he calls together his family and and his friends. You know, it could be a very large group there gathered together uh, to hear what Peter has to say. Verse 25, And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter took him up, saying, Stand up, I myself also am a man. And, you know, this is something that you see various places in in scripture, uh, when people, I mean, Cornelius, Cornelius understands what's happening here is very important. And he even starts to worship Peter, but Peter rebukes him, right? And that's always what a, what a you know, a, a believer or even an angel will do when, man, a holy angel, I should say, when when man tries to worship them is to rebuke them because it's the Lord alone that's worthy of worship. Um, but it's also very important to understand that when people worship the Lord Jesus Christ, he didn't rebuke them because he is worthy of worship because he is God in human flesh. If Jesus Christ was just a man, he would do like Peter did here and say, stand up, um, I myself also am a man, but the Lord Jesus Christ received worship. Okay, so that's that's one of the things that you can keep in mind when somebody wants to deny the deity of Christ. Uh, that you know somebody like Peter, who was a teacher and a you know an apostle, uh, Peter wouldn't receive worship. Even angels. There are places in the Bible where people try to worship angels, and angel, the holy angels rebuke them. Okay, but the Lord Jesus Christ received worship when people wanted to worship him. Okay, so, so Peter rebukes him, but verse 27, And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together, and he said unto them, Ye know how that it is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But notice what Peter says, But God hath showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Um, again, the vision was not about doing away with the dietary restrictions under the law. 
the vision was that God, some men who previously had been unclean, who it would have been unlawful for Peter to go to and to keep company with, he says the Lord has showed him that he should not call any man common or unclean. Now, uh, it's maybe just go quickly before we close for this lesson. Go over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. Verse 13 at the end talks about the blood of Christ. And verse 14 says, For he, Christ, is our peace, who hath made both, that's both Jew and Gentile, hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both, both Jew and Gentile, unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. Now, when we talk about the dispensation of the grace of God, that that body of truth concerning the, the grace of God that... Uh, we see revealed through the Apostle Paul, you see that, that one of the main distinguishing characteristics of the dispensation of the grace of God is that there's no difference between Jew or Gentile. Okay? And that's what the Lord is showing Peter already here in, in Acts chapter 10. Where the dispensational change takes place is in Acts chapter 9 with the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And here in chapter 10, see, Peter. the reason Peter is doubting there and doesn't understand the vision and, and has to piece all this together is because it doesn't fit with what they've been doing previously. It doesn't fit with what even what the Lord himself taught them between his resurrection and his ascension. This is something new taking place, and so the Lord has to give Peter some special instruction. And here Peter says that, that the Lord has shown him that he should not call any man common or unclean, that that distinction has been done away. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.